0: Welcome to Attorneys Are Human to a podcast with your host, Stephen Wallace, and your co host, Selena Music, both of the Wallace Law Group. Today's episode is Tony Bruin, a basketball. Player. Welcome, everybody. I'm Steve Wallace, your host, and we're also joined by Selena Music. We're both of the Wallace Law Group, and we have a true privilege today. We have New York City and Syracuse University basketball legend, Tony Red Bruin, here today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And as you see, Tony is wearing his Syracuse basketball t-shirt, and he's the creator of of an amazing retro basketball clothing line, which we'll go into detail a little bit later on in the program. So the first question a lot of our listeners have is if you could just give us a little bit of background of your basketball playing days in in middle school and high school in new york city
1: okay well it started off i guess uh, way back way way back when (laughs) i was in a small catholic school in uh long island city new york uh, by the name of saint patrick's and we had a a gentleman in my neighborhood in ravenswood projects that uh, his son also went there and he was the coach And I had never really played basketball up until maybe the sixth grade, but I was always taller than most of the kids in my class. And uh, so he always was needling me saying, you should play basketball. You should come out for my team. And uh, at that point, I was really skinny and awkward. Didn't really have a lot of self-confidence in myself athletically wise, but he kept the pressure on me. And uh, eventually I came out and I know I wasn't any good, but um, because he was the one that uh, encouraged me to come, he kept me on. And I guess he saw something on new, you know, how to develop a basketball player. And the better I started getting and the small successes I started having, I eventually really started liking the game. And then I I just went putting my energies into it between, I would say, the end of the sixth grade all the way going up until the eighth grade. And then and then I was all in. It became a passion for me.
0: OK, great. And so could you let us know when was the first time and you know, you, what age were you when you were able to dunk? Well, that, that was an,
1: a, another thing that was kind of weird, because even though, like I said, I, I, for, for a basketball player starting in the sixth, seventh, eighth grade is kind of late. I, I had uh, a gift, that I, I guess, for no other uh, thing that I can think of right now uh, that at the time I thought everybody can do it. I didn't think it was anything special, although I didn't know all of the rules or anything and, you know, wasn't a great shooter or was just learning how to drill and everything. I, 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 I had amazing jumping ability and people used to say, "Ooh, and all the things that I did and I really didn't think know that I was doing anything special. I think it was the eighth grade where I just stand under the basket you know I, I wanted to score the best way i could and i really wasn't at a at a high skill level then so i just jumped up and dumped it and threw it in and everybody looked like they were so shocked and i didn't really realize what i had done was something that most eighth graders just don't do standing flat footed just go straight up and dunk without running or anything like that and then wow. I was at that point, when people started telling me no no that's something special that I kinda of started
0: understanding that at least I had a head start with something special in the game. <laughs> well, that that was great. I just yeah. remember when I was little and I used to watch you in Syracuse, you used to posterize a bunch of people, so. Yeah.
2: Well, I have a question. How tall are you then? <laughs> well, th-
1: th- here's the other side of that. I, you know how I told you I was taller than most of the kids in my class? Well. I was around six three, and even today I'm only six five, so I only grew two inches more. I thought I was going to be about six eight or so, but I, I I think in the eighth grade I was like six two or six three. I thought I was going to be a lot taller, but I kind of capped off at six five. Okay.
0: okay excellent so then just so so just just following that so you were you somebody discovered you in middle school and then can you tell us about your your high school experience and and for those of our listeners who aren't aware new york city is the birthplace of basketball and you know a lot of folks that play college basketball like tony and those that go to the pros they're always referencing a new york city type of player so if you could kind of go into a little bit of detail
1: so on that. like I said, uh, the gentleman uh, from the school. Once he got me started playing in the eighth grade, then I had that whole summer to go from eighth grade before I was able to go uh, into high school. So that summer playing in some neighborhood tournaments, a uh, play that you might know uh, of Eugene Walden. had also played for Syracuse. Okay. He lived projects about four blocks down from me, which is Queensbridge. And he had came to my neighborhood and played in the tournament a few times. And, and he went back raving to a gentleman by the name of Hank Carter, well, if anybody from New York knows who Hank Carter is, he's the one that started the, the famous wheelchair games where all of the boroughs played against each other for championships and all of the money donated went to help people with new wheelchairs or electronic stuff for the wheelchairs or things that their insurance wouldn't cover at Goldwater Hospital for paraplegics. And it grew so big that it turned into a a tournament that NBA players were playing But to make a long story short, he brought me down and introduced me to him, and I started playing for his teams, and that's where my development really took off. I started playing against really high caliber players, which pushed my, my learning curve way up really fast. And, and Hank Carter introduced me to other players and other programs that had me traveling all over the United States playing against some of the best players in the country. And after that point, I decided to go to Monte Christi High School, which was kind of weird because my first choice was going to be Palo Memorial, but the schools were on a strike. The Catholic schools were on a strike that year and I couldn't get my paperwork in. And by the time everything ended, it was too late to, 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 to get the paperwork in for Pound Mario. So I ended up going to Monte Christi, which worked out really well because I ended up getting two city championships there. My first year at Mata Christi, we did pretty good. Ended up playing on varsity at the end of the year. A gentleman by the name of Howard Garfinkel, who ran one of the most successful and famous- Five-star um, five camps, right? Five-star basketball camp. And yep. uh, once I went there, I had, a, I had a fabulous camp week. And when I came back from- uh, That camp, I went from being somebody that was pretty much known to the New York City area to being known all over, so it was just incredible how it just just seemed like it happened so fast.
0: Excellent. One of the things I'm, I'm a basketball story and I, I played in high school, but I'm a lot shorter than you. I, I was a shooter, but never, never a jumper, a leaper. So now I live vicariously through, through my son. I, I coach basketball. And we'll talk about that a little later in the program. So one of the things that I know is there's a big rivalry between the city schools and the Catholic schools in New York city. So could you elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: Well, it used to be that the public schools, if you went to public schools, they would always try to say, well, it's not the same competition. But using the Catholic schools, you would say it's not the same competition. You know, if you think about all the great players that came through the Catholic school, like Kenny Smith and Kenny Anderson. I mean, um, the list is is so numerous. Derek Chivas um, and public schools, you know, obviously the, the, the list is so great of the players that came from from public schools so it's always kind of a rivalry there so I think our big rivalry for the public schools that year was Cardoza you know they had won the city championship and we had won the city championship so they put it together that the capital school champion would play the public school champion at St. John's University and mm-hmm. fortunately we won that game because uh, we talked a lot of junk to each other <laughs> so I would have had to eat a
0: lot of cake had we not won but it worked out pretty good for us. So, so you just you just mentioned about talking a lot of junk. What what is your best smack talk line that you ever had on an opponent? I don't,
1: I don't know if I can say it on air, but no, I'm just joking. We used <laughs> just always talk about how you know people can't really dribble or they can't really shoot or just you know all the lame parts. You know, we were just like whatever we could think of to put, you know uh, pull a person's feathers. We we'd say it, no matter what it was, you know, back at that time, kids were just saying anything, so we we were just saying anything. Yeah. So, I think so, New
2: Yorkers are naturally competitive.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, because you got the boroughs that are competitive against each other. You got the Catholic school versus the public schools. You got the different AAU programs. And you had the Riverside Hawks. You had the Gauchos. Um, you had Elm Corps. You had United Queen. It was just so many, you know. And, so, and then
2: you you also had public schools against each other also.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So everybody's always uh, for the bragging rights in the city. You know, everybody wants to be the king of the city, but uh, it's all in fun. You know, just like uh, a lot of the schools that we have rivalries with, even today, how you talk about Syracuse and Georgetown is such a big rivalry, but a lot of the guys that we used to play against, I have one speed dial on my cell phone and we talk all the time and we're Facebook friends and everything. And we joke on each other still today and stuff. So, you know, it's all in good fun.
0: That, that's excellent. That's the best part is the smack talk and the bragging rights for the next year or the next game for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so we've, we've kind of walked through your middle school and your high school days. So let's talk a little bit about after your week that you spent at Five Star, you started showing up on the national radar. So could you talk a little bit about the process that you went through to choose your college?
1: Yeah. Well, once I came back from Five Star, I, had, I think I had one of the most promising prospects and things really started to get kind of hectic because yeah, in, in the New York City area, if, if you're doing well in basketball, you have a lot of different people coming at you for different reasons and stuff. So you got to kind of navigate your way through that. And luckily, I had some good mentors that protected me from some of the serious types of things. But it got down to, I think my, my last schools was, it was definitely Syracuse, Louisville, and South Carolina. And South Carolina, You might say South Carolina, but South Carolina was in the picture because my dad is from the Hilton Head Bluffton area. And uh, Frank McGuire was down here. So you he had a, a New York City kind of coach, along with the fact that my father was from the area and the school was kind of on a bubble, you know, they, they, they were smited. If they got a few good players, they could turn the tide and stuff. So that was really a heavy consideration of mine. I love Louisville. I love Danny Danny Crum, and I love Wade Houston. You know, I visited there. Actually, I stayed at Wade Houston's house in beautiful family, and I really had a family feel there. A good friend of mine, Rodney McCray, had went there at the same time. And it was just so far away, I was really close with my mom and stuff. So I think that might have been the, the, the decider. And, and But my mom also loved Behan. Out of all the coaches that had came into the living room, she said that he seemed the most genuine and she had a feeling like no matter what, that he would make sure I got my degree. She kind of was always, she's just something about her In uh, Bayham, she really thought that. And I don't know if it was because Syracuse was the closest school, but she really kind of engineered me towards that way too. And I and I had a good feel. He, Bayham saw probably more of my games than any, any other coach. He saw me have some great games. He had, he saw me have some terrible games and uh, he seemed that he wanted me just as bad, you know, no matter whether I had a good game or a bad game. So that really made me feel confident, you know, that uh,
0: he he had good intentions for me. So, so when Beheim was in, and for those of you who don't know, Jim Beheim, he's, he's the coach of Syracuse. He was the coach when Tony was there and he's been the coach ever since he's, he's almost been coaching Syracuse as long as I've been alive and longer than Selena's been alive. So he's kind of an institution at Syracuse University. So my question was when he's sitting in your living room with you and your mom and your family and your mentors, what is his, what is his selling point? What's his close to you to get you to come to Syracuse?
2: What's the pitch?
1: Well, the, the first thing is he talks about how great the school is and the great alumni that's in the area. You know, that if you go to Syracuse, you know, you're, you're in a network of, of people from the New York City, New Jersey, Connecticut area. And he talks about how you have a lot of good job opportunities because a lot of people that are doing a lot of different things are, are from Syracuse. Um, at that point, I was interested in Newhouse and communications. And he was telling me that we have more broadcasters. Probably than anybody else in on any networks and stuff like that. His his biggest pitch, I guess, to, to, is, is school first. He comes at you with school first, and then as far as basketball wise, he brags about how he lets his players play their game. You know, he has a a wide open offense, and you can really showcase your talents and tries to stay away from the weather, obviously. Yeah, yeah, of
0: course. Of course. <laughs>
1: how close you are to home and stuff and how everybody that you grew up with will be able to see you play. And of course we got the dome, you know, we got a great, a lot of great selling points and stuff like that. But the main thing is, is the education and, and the networking from the
0: alumni. Okay, great. So my next question is, so you, you were able to play division one basketball. So you played with a lot of players in New York city growing up. Was there one player that you played with that you, you thought, wow, this guy's going to make it. And for some reason or another didn't make it.
1: There was so many people like that. It's, it's it's really incredible. I mean, you could go to the park on any given day in New York and see somebody that probably could have just played in the NBA with the, given the right circumstances. I think of a lot of it as being in the, the the right place at the right time. You got guys like Glenn McMillan. You know, you talk about uh, Connie Hawkins and Julius Irving with uh, the size of their hands. There were one of my competitors and close friends. He played at Holy Cross and then I think he went to, uh, Iona and played with Jeff Rubin for a little while. Was Glenn McMillan. Um, he had hands that made the, the basketball seem like an orange. And, I mean, he could just do anything. He was unstoppable going to the basket. But, you know, for for whatever reason, whatever, like a lot of us, just the, the NBA wasn't in, in the cards. You just never know. But it's, it's just so many, you know, variables in playing in the NBA. A lot of guys get to play professionally. I got to play professionally overseas. But the NBA is a different
0: animal. So many things have to fall right for you. Okay, great. So you come to Syracuse. And it, your freshman year, what, what did you think when you walked onto the court for your first practice, what was your experience and, and how did Beheim treat you, you know, as a freshman? Generally, there's some, probably some indoctrination period that you would have.
1: He's um, especially known for being hard on his freshman and almost to the point where he tries to um, tear you down and build you up and you don't know what, what's going on. You know, you just think that you, know, you just can't do anything right. Uh, he's especially, especially hard on his point guards. So I didn't get it quite as bad as the point guards did. And uh, but I, I think that's just part of the the process on how he works. You know, he gets all of this stuff out your freshman year and your sophomore year. He basically doesn't have to say anything to you because your program, is style, what he's looking for. I mean, just a little thing like I'd come out your first year at college and everything. And you get on the layup line and you're just, you know, going taking layups. And he just, what are you? Don't you ever get on the court and not take a lap full speed? I mean, something <laughs> just as trivial as t- if you don't go one hundred percent, you lose his mind. If you don't like wait for the screens to get exactly there, just things that you know in high school, and you're the star. You don't think of the guy. You wait for the screen, and I mean, but and and you really start to doubt yourself, and then just when you, you, you when you really wonder if this is even for you, that's when you start to realize what he's doing, and you start to get it. And then uh, eventually you see him uh, going on to maybe the younger guys, but he's really hard on his point guards the most. And I think that's why he always has great point guards, great, great point guard play. Syracuse is not really a school that's known for having a lot of
0: turnovers. You know. Yeah. Excellent. So when you made the jump from high school to division one college basketball, what was mm-hmm. the thing that you noticed most, the difference between high school and college?
1: The thing that I noticed that you notice right away is there's not anybody that you could relax on. You know, like in high school, you might have two great players on the starting five of another team and those are the guys you had the key on and certain guys you wouldn't have to pay attention to as much. You know, at Division One level, there's no not really one player that you can just really say, well, we're not going to worry about him too much. And just keep on this guy. Everybody can contribute. Everybody can do something. You know, you got you to gotta be playing defense 100% of the time because just about anybody on that team can beat you, you know. Obviously, if a team has a great, great player, or All-American type player, you might want to be more... Conscience of helping the, the person that's playing him, but it's not really anybody that you can just, you know, let roam free and not and, and not stick to because anybody on the division one team can beat you one way or another, you know, they, they can do something. They're out there for a reason. Either they are a great penetrator, ball handler, shooter or slasher or something, but there's a reason that
0: they were given a division one scholarship. Okay. And so who are your closest friends on the team when you, when you played your four years? Well, my
1: freshman year was Ron Payton and Eric Sanford. I roomed with Eric Sanford, and he came out from Michigan which i found it was different you know he had like a a, the michigan culture with him and me coming from new york a a new york city guy and a midwest guy it was just funny the interaction that we had and i really enjoyed being around him and learning different things and then uh gene came that next year i was a year ahead of him and we were neighborhood friends and and grew up you know childhood friends so then uh, me and him uh room together. And he was one of my best friends growing up. So I'd have to say, definitely, we, we, we're a pretty close team. You know, uh, one thing Beheim does not do is, is pit people against each other, each other, you know, he builds us up as a team.
0: Okay, great. So Beheim is notorious for, you know, ESPN and some other media outlets portray him a certain way. Can you tell us a few funny Beheim stories that you had during the time you were there? my first funny
1: story about him is I, I, I never felt comfortable driving with him. He just drives crazy. Like, he's just always just focused on basketball and all this stuff that's going. I mean, cars will be cutting around him <laughs> going through stop signs and stuff like that. So, finally, I think we were in, I, I believe we were playing Boston College. And, you know, a game day, he's so full of adrenaline and everything, I think he forgot to stop, (laughs) and he ran right into the back of another car, and from that was like either my, I believe that was my freshman year, the beginning of my sophomore year, and from that day on, we never let him drive again, you know, like we would come from the airport and get rented cars and rented vans, and that was the end of letting him drive, so to this day, you know, I always talk about his driving, like he'd go through, you know, he'd be on a curve and go 50 miles an hour and stuff on game day or something, he just he's never stopped thinking about basketball even to the point where when he's driving, he'll turn his head and say but this is about you know it's just he's so focused I mean basketball is his life you know we just it just makes us laugh all the time or sometimes we'll be in a locker room and say oh, we're having a bad half or something and he'll be yelling at us and he'll say stuff that doesn't make any sense at all, <laughs> we're all at each other, but nobody wants to tell him what he just said nobody understands it's just it's just something you get used to you know we laugh at later and stuff and then we'll tell him like after the game, when we win and stuff, you know, you said this, Well, so you guys know what I meant.
0: you, <laughs> you got to love him, man. So, so along those lines, what is the funniest thing that he ever said to you to somebody in the, when you guys were in the huddle?
1: Okay. Well, uh, Sonny's going to get mad at me, but to this day, we still laugh about it. I don't know if you remember Michael Adams from Boston college. I do. Yeah. Yep. Quickest guards you ever want to guard. I mean, from baseline to baseline with the ball, I don't think I've ever seen anybody quicker than him, you know. And we were we were playing him, and then uh, I guess he had told Sonny to pick him up at half court. But for some reason, Sonny was intent on picking him up from baseline to baseline. So after Michael Adams zoomed past him and everybody's trying to switch the catch and all these mismatches because Michael Adams and left two guards in the backcourt, Bam calls a timeout and tells Sonny, you couldn't guard him if we was in a phone booth. You know, back up at half court, and we all just died. And then what at Sonny Like, just give me one more chance and I'll show you I could do it. But, you know, that was at <laughs> the phone booth, the little box. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. told Sonny you couldn't guard him right, right up there on the court.
0: Okay, great. So who was your toughest opponent in college that you had to guard? I'd probably say maybe Mark Aguirre or
1: uh, Clyde Drexler uh, were probably my two toughest assignments. But um, I made sure I was a tough assignment for them too. I think I had 28 against both of those guys
0: too. But they, I, the, the better the player, the more it brought out of me. Those guys were the real deal. <laughs> So in, in college, because one of the things that you're known for is dunking on people. That's something that we, we see a lot of highlights to this day. And so who is the player that you got the most satisfaction dunking on?
1: Well, I don't know if I got the most satisfaction, but I'll tell you I got the most... Um Noriety from because even to this day you would think that I never did anything else because just about everywhere I go, somebody says, Oh, you know who this is? This is my friend Tony Boyne. Say, oh, I know him, you're the guy that dunked on Patrick Hume. So I guess I'd have to say the dunk a dunk I have on Patrick Hume, because I swear that's what it seemed like that's the only thing people
0: know me for. <laughs> well it's funny you mention that because my grandfather had a store on on campus. So I grew up in Syracuse also, and there was a big picture of that in his in his store. And so I yeah. always remember when I was little, I was like, Oh my god i love
1: that picture yeah. yeah it was something you know i guess back at that time before pat went to the nba and stuff nobody really had, had got a dunk on him so maybe because of maybe the first or early on or something people made a big deal about it but um I, the one thing that I have, I didn't have confidence in anything else. I had confidence in my jumping ability. So it really wasn't anybody that I would be afraid to try, you know, try at least one time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was great. So in, in college, which player were you surprised that made it to the NBA that you played against?
1: That's a funny That's a, Maybe John Pannone. I thought maybe he'd be, to what's the word that I'm looking for? Undersized, you know, because he was so strong. You know, he dominated that villain over, but I guess he played like a center. And I didn't think that that would carry over to the NBA, but he surprised me. And he played in the NBA and did really well. Another guy that I grew up with, Stuart Granger, I didn't think that he would be playing in the NBA. Uh, you just never know. Like I said, you got to be in the right place at the right time. I had a high school teammate that, um, you know, I remember in the championship game, I had to yell at a few times because he was, like, getting nervous and stuff, and he ended up going on and playing the Olympics Vern Fleming and had, like, a 10- or 11-year uh, career with the Indiana Pacers. So you just never know. It's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time, finding your niche, coach that appreciates your game or knows how to use you, get the most out of you. There's so many different things. Um, staying out of trouble, uh, keeping your body into the top shelf. It's just so many different things that just have to
0: go right to play in the NBA. So Selena wanted to ask you about the current state of the NBA and your thoughts about it.
1: I, I think that the NBA is in a good place right now. I like the fact that the players have realized how they can take tro- uh, control of their, their career a little bit more than maybe back in the past. One thing I, 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 that I worry about is some of the, t- maybe the players are coming a little too young without the fundamentals that maybe some of the older guys used to have on the way that the, the league used to be. So, but then again, maybe that's because I'm biased. That's the time that I came from. It seemed like some of the guys that, you know, they catch up later to the fundamentals, but I guess we're in a new age now, even as an AAU coach, I've had to adjust with some of the things that are different. I mean, I didn't come through with this age where uh, you pull up for a three rather than go for the layup. Now that these guys are doing so, so the game is changing a lot. And, I guess I'm evolving as the, as the game evolves to, to try to get along with it. But I'm from the old school where, you know, I, I think the closer the shot you can get to the basket is your, is your best shot. But the guys that I coach now, they're all looking to take three. So it's changing.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of controversy in regards to these players getting paid. Um, what's your opinion on that? I always thought that was one
1: of the, 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 the things that should be looked at a little more back even back in my day when I was playing because um, what you're asked to do, the time that you're asked to sacrifice, the fact that they have so many regulations on you that you can't work during the basketball season, the type of kids and the places that they recruit us from, they know our financial situation. I thought more could be done to, that, to find a way to compensate the kids. Compensate the players. Um, And I'm not saying get rich, but I thought, I mean, you you know, your coach couldn't even take you out to dinner after a game. I mean, you know, it's just too draconian. And, you know, even as far as any long term money, you know, things that they're doing now, like maybe letting you make money off your likeness and stuff like that, they weren't even exploring those ideas. So players started using their. the power to show that, that there's other options that they can do, like G League or do other things. Now now, now they're starting to allow players to do some of the things that, I, that they could have been looking at a long time before because the NCAA has been making a lot of money through TV contracts. And the universities make
2: a lot of money too.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the coaches make a lot of money. The coaches are able, you know, the coach could have a good year at a small school and then all of a sudden leave to go to a bigger school. But if a player had a bad year at a school or something like that and wanted to leave, they had to sit out a year. So it's like everything was stacked against the kids were in the favor of coaches and the NCAA um, making money or being able to jump to better opportunities. And the kids just had to hope. I keep saying the kids. But us, players had to just hope that things worked out, worked out the best for us one way or the other, you know?
2: What do you think about these players on social media platforms and have a mass of followers and they're, they're making money on social media yet they're getting in trouble for it.
1: Yeah. I think the NCAA is going to have to adjust. Are they going to make themselves irrelevant? because um, players now are a lot more smarter and savvy and, and financial savvy and, You know, they're just going to find other avenues, or they're going to do other—they're going to bypass the NCAA uh, and start doing things like. If you look now, like some of the top players now have went right straight to the G League. I just saw a couple of months ago now that they've raised the the salaries for the G League. I think some of the top players now can command like five hundred thousand dollars. You know, that's enough to pay for your own college and and still
0: uh, start pursuing your goals if your goal is to try to play professional basketball one of the things we're also seeing now, and I've seen a couple of the top recruits and I've seen you comment about it on social media is that some of the top players are also interested in playing for historically black colleges. What are your thoughts on that? I saw that.
1: Um, I thought that was a long time coming. I kind of saw that coming, uh, especially some of the guys that, that are starting to do it now. I mean, if you think about guys like Charles Oakley and Scotty Pippen, you know, those guys all came from small schools, which goes to show you, if you have the talent, the scouts will find you, you know, you know, no matter what school you go to, if, if you're good enough, the people that matter in terms of, of the NBA or professional, they will find you. So if a school can offer you more in terms of what you're looking for as being closer to your family and academically, and if they do have a, a good enough athletic program that will challenge you, I don't see no reason. I don't see any reason why, why that
0: wouldn't work too, you know? Excellent. I guess my next question is, so then after you graduated from Syracuse, you played overseas. Could you give us a little snapshot into the culture and the, the way that you would play for an overseas team?
1: Yeah, I got, uh, you know how we always how I've been saying through this thing it's like the right place and the right niche. Well I got I had the unfortunate of being drafted by the world champions Philadelphia 76ers and I had played a lot of small forward for Coach Bayheim, so I would have had to make that team as a guard, and there was no way they was gonna give me a guaranteed contract as a guard. They had Maurice Cheeks, Andrew Toney, uh Clint Richardson. I mean they had an all-star backcourt with all-star subs coming off the bench. So they put me on their CBA team, the Rockford Lightning, and the first opportunity, the first offer that I got to go overseas, I took it. I wish I would have been a little more patient to see what might work out for me, if maybe I would have traded my rights to somebody else or something like that. But again, like, uh, you know, I had a son early and, and other obligations, and I just took the first guaranteed contract that I could, and I ended up going overseas. But I enjoyed my experience once I got over there. Uh, you know, you get to see different places. It, it was my, actually, it was my first time out the country going there. To, 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 to England was the first place that I went overseas to play and at least my first experience was one where people spoke English so it wasn't the, one of the hardest transitions that I had to make you know?
0: and then after so then you you played overseas for a while and now you know for many years you've been a high school and aau coach so where where do you currently coach i know you're a high school basketball coach yeah. as well as an aau coach I
1: came back after i played in venezuela for a while and portugal i came back and i was i decided to move to albany which was like not as far up as syracuse but it was out of new york city i was raising my son at that time and uh, I was uh, putting most of my energies into his basketball career. He ended up going to Iona and playing for Jeff Ruling, which was kind of neat because at the same time that he went there, Steve Burt, who also had a son, played there. And Gary Springer, all of us were high school All-Americans, and all of us had sons that ended up following our footsteps. So all three of them were there at the same time. And they they, uh, they did really well. They made it to the NCAAs. I think they uh, they lost to LSU in the last couple of minutes when they had the uh, big baby, Glenn Davis. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, they had a nice run. And after that, I decided to move down south and help my dad, who was getting sick um, in, in the Hilton Head area. And immediately when I got here, because people knowing of my basketball stuff, they wanted me to do some coaching. And I ended up coaching at one of the high schools down here as well as doing AAU.
0: Okay, great. And so, and, and so what, are, what are the differences that you would say? You, you alluded to it uh, a little bit. What are the differences between the players that played during your era and the kids that play now?
1: Well, it's, it's like when I was in Albany, we, I, I was coaching with a program called the Albany City Rocks, and I think at one point or another, they, use, they usually go between the number one and number 10 ranked uh, AAU program in the country. They're, they're one of the elite teams by Nike, and the one thing I noticed right away was these kids, you know, we would we would make, we would would make run a play to try to get a layup or a mid-range shot. These guys today, they're looking to run plays. They get open threes. The game has just changed so much. Yeah, I hardly recognize it. So I had to make an adjustment from the way that I was growing up to play to the way the game to the way the game is played now. You know, uh, you gotta have um, you gotta have some great shooters out there. They don't really emphasize a big man doing the post moves like in the old days or the days that when I used to play. Now we got big men that want to step, bring the ball up and you know, none of the the, the positions are not defined where they used to be like, you know, your one, your two, your three. You know, your one was the only one that brought the ball up. Your two is supposed to be a shooter. Your three is supposed to be your most athletic player and your four and five. You know, now you got what you call stretch fours. You got six, eight guys that stand out, you know, the three point line, the, open the offense up by hitting threes all day and you want to send that can come up to the top. It's just really different. And I think a lot of that started with some of the players coming over from Europe because they all came over with the ability. Their big guys came over with the ability to dribble the ball like a guard and shoot uh,
0: long jump shots. And I think that helped change the game too. Yeah. My, my son is, is just turned nine and he played last year until COVID he started playing, you know, travel ball. And so I'm one of the coaches. And so, basically we practice for about two hours and for an hour and a half all we're doing is practicing dribbling and shooting which mm-hmm. i played in the late 80s and early 90s and i was a shooter i can't mm-hmm. dribble my son's nine years old he could dribble better than i can now you know it's yeah, pretty yeah. the game has really changed everybody wants to dribble everybody wants to
1: dribble everybody wants to shoot threes like even now when the kids like when we used to come out and we're in a layout line we start in and work our way out you know just warming up for the game these guys they walk right on the court and start shooting the ball the <laughs> longest yeah, You know, remember when the coach used to yell at you and say, is that where you're going to be shooting from in the game? And you said that to them now, they go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our, our coach
0: was like, if I took if I took like four or five steps behind the three-point line, he'd put me on the bench, even if I made it. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah. it was pretty crazy. So, so let's jump into one of the things that, that we wanted to talk about is that you have a new clothing line out. And if you could just tell us a little bit about your clothing line and how all of our listeners can order them. And, I, and I've already seen them. They're great. I've already put my order in. And I know after I show it to Selena, she's going to order some too. I
2: want right, to see.
0: I
1: appreciate you for that. So this year, the, the past alumni game that we had in January, a close friend of mine and another Syracuse alumni by the name of Peter Haper. He picked me up in New Jersey. He lives in New Jersey. So I flew into Newark airport because we made a big, we made a big promise that we hadn't seen each other in so long. We're going to do the alumni game together. So I caught me a really good flight into New Jersey and he picked me up. So we had like a three hour drive, three and a half hour drive from New Jersey to Syracuse for the alumni game. So we were talking and I was telling him a little bit about what I was doing with the AAU and everything. And, and, I, and I just happened to mention to him, you know, I said, you know what I was thinking of doing with some of my spare time? I said, I wanted to do like maybe a little sports clothing line. I said something, you know, something retro, maybe down the line, even bringing some other old school players and stuff like that. And he goes, well, Tony, why don't you do it? I said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. He says, no, don't think about it, do it. And I said, I am thinking about it. You know, and then we started talking about other things And I really didn't mention that much more to him. So we had a great time at the alumni game, and I got to see a lot of the players that I hadn't seen in a while and great dinners and great fun in the game. They played North Carolina, but they lost that game. (laughs) So to make a long story short, so about three weeks later, after I'm back in Hilton Head, I get an email from Peter. And it says, Tony, tell me what you think about some of these uh, styles right here so i wasn't quite sure what he was talking about and i'm looking at the styles and he had pulled some of the logos and stuff that i was talking about of some of my old pictures and the stuff was beautiful and um he said we're going to do that clothing line you were talking about he says i'm not he says i'm not going to accept we're going to talk about it later we're going to do this we're doing it right now and he just gave me the encouragement um to go ahead and, and and the confidence in myself to go ahead and do it you know how you just have that friend that just pushes you to do something you always you just need a you little to push to get it done <laughs>
2: You need that friend. He, he gave me a
1: big push, and, and uh, he made me get off of it and do it. And uh, it's been great. I just I can't believe like all of the family and friends and and former players and coaches. I mean, you name it, have been supporting me. I mean, even if it's just a headband or a hat or the T-shirts or we got the long sleeve shirts now. It's just some. I eventually want to grow it into starter jackets and warm-up suits and the whole shebang. But um, it's coming along really well, and I'm excited about it. And uh, it just goes to show you what good friends or, you know, can do for well, you. Well, what's the
2: name of the clothing line?
1: It's it's the Red Collection, and all you have to do is uh, is type in redcollection.net, and it takes you right to the website.
2: Redcollection.net. Got it.
0: Redcollection.net. You'll love some of the stuff you see. It's nice, it's nice stuff, especially being a New Yorker. Selena, you're going to like it.
2: Yeah, I've always liked athletic. I'm pretty athletic myself, but you know, back in the day, I was an insane sneaker collector.
1: What I was saying is, we've added other lines trying to get the vibe of what we're about to help kids and we've got even one shirt saying how it takes a village and with all different nationalities and cultures holding the basketball and it's basically like how it takes a village to raise a kid these days all the stuff that's going
0: on and, and how we all just need to stick together you know so yeah it's so it's one, thing I, one thing one thing i is, asked you is do, do you have children's sizes yet because i did i remember i asked you that
1: no well, our smallest one i think is a small but we're, we're going to be getting into children's sizes and especially cuts for ladies too
2: are you making women's clothing
1: as well? Yeah, that's what we're getting into now. We're, we're, we're getting into women's clothing and children. It's just, we were just so overwhelmed. It came as I was never expecting the, 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 the vibe that we got and, and the turnout of people coming to the website. We've had over like 1,200 people just visit the website. We've only been up since June 2nd. So it's really amazing.
0: That's excellent. So we're going to ask you one more question each, and then we're going to go to the lightning round. I really appreciate all your time. So okay. Selena mentioned she's a sneaker head. What is your favorite sneaker of all time and why?
1: Pony. And I think that's because when I started off with in Syracuse and uh, my last year of high school, before I went to Syracuse, one of the uh, distributors lived not too far away from me. And it used to be an old coach and I couldn't get enough ponies from him. Every time I got one scratch on my pony, gave me a new pair.
2: <laughs> that's great. What do you think about, you just mentioned you're getting into the women's clothing just because, but what do you think about,
1: the women's basketball. Arena. I am so happy to see that they're finally getting paid the way they should have been getting paid in the WNBA. Even though I think they should be getting more, I did see where uh, they raised the salaries for them, and they work just as hard as the guys. They're just as skilled, or uh, even more. Some a lot of them are probably more fundamentally sound than some of the guys. You know, some of the guys just. Uh, uh, Rely on athleticism, so they, they play a great brand of basketball, and I'm finally glad to see they're getting noticed and rewarded for it. I used to go to all the women's games at Syracuse, and have a lot of friends and alumni friends that played on the teams that I still stay in contact with to today.
0: Okay, Tony, we're going to jump right into the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five questions: this or that, no explanation necessary. Keep up with you? I'm getting old. Okay, <laughs> short shorts or baggy shorts? Short shorts. <laughs> Afro or bald? Oh, well, I'm going bald now. <laughs> okay. Burgers or tacos? Tacos. New York City or Hilton Head? New York City. <laughs> okay. Bayheim or Calipari? Bayheim all the way. And last but not least, snow or rain? <laughs> I'll take the rain any days. <laughs> Tony, thank you so, so much for thank you for, for, have, for having us. And for if you could just one more time, if you could let our listeners know where we can get the Red Collection. Okay. It's redcollection.net.
1: One word, redcollection.net. It will pop the website right up. Easy order.
0: Well, thank you again thank so much for your time. <laughs> And we, we really appreciate you so much. And hopefully you enjoyed it. And maybe we can ask you on for a future episode.
1: Anytime. Thank you. I've had a ball with you guys. Thank you. We appreciate <laughs>
2: Thank it.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks. Nice meeting. You. Take care. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys. really. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of attorneys are human too. Please subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast provider. Please also, if you enjoyed today's content, please share the the content with a friend. Please ask them to subscribe. And please, if you really enjoyed this, leave us a five-star review. Thank you. Until next time.